Hi, I'm Chris Peterson, and this is KindredCast, a podcast featuring insights from dealmakers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. KindredCast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Liontree, a global merchant and investment bank. Today, we check in with Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop, a privately held Boston-based company on a mission to unlock human performance. In conversation with Liontree's Alex Michael, Will discusses how his company's wearable-based wellness ecosystem not only helps top athletes reach new heights, but is playing a unique role in the detection of COVID-19. To listen to other Kindred Media podcasts like Kinsider or The Vazy View, or if you'd like to receive our daily newsletter, Take a Break, be sure to head to the link in the show notes below. Now, let's hear from Alex and Will. Welcome to KindredCast. I'm Alex Michael with Liontree. We are very excited today to bring you a conversation with the founder and CEO of Whoop, Will Ahmed. Will has developed a next generation wearable technology for optimizing human performance. You may have seen these bands. Obviously, there's a whole ecosystem around them. They're increasingly being found everywhere. I certainly see them everywhere I go. Will has raised more than $100 million from top investors for this wearable and has an active advisory board that consists of some of the world's most notable cardiologists, technologists, marketers, and designers. Will has also written a book. He wrote a feedback tool called Measuring Fitness Intensity and Recovery. So he's an author. And he was named a 2011 Harvard College Scholar and Scholar Athlete for his captaincy of the varsity squash team. And finally, he was recently named to Forbes 30 Under 30 list and the Boston Business Journal 40 Under 40 list. We did it. Will, thank you so much for joining KindredCast. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you here. Many of us at Tree are big fans and users of your product. I guess a good place to start is, is first tell us more about Whoop. Can you give us a brief summary of the business? Yeah, our, our mission at Whoop is really to unlock human performance. So we build technology across uh, hardware, software, analytics that's designed to continuously understand you. And we collect more data than any other product on the market. And that's designed to understand variables like how much sleep you get, your body's recovery, the strain that you put on your body over the course of the day. And more recently, a big focus on respiratory rate, which appears to be quite relevant during this global pandemic. Certainly, this was well-conceived well before COVID, but I can imagine it's certainly seen great acceleration during COVID and probably will after. At its core, Whoop is essentially a wearable, right? Well, it's a small sensor that's got about five different data points that we're collecting 50 to 100 times per second. So it's an enormous amount of data that we collect on the human body. It's also mostly material. So the Whoop strap doesn't have a screen on it, very small sensor. You can see about the size of my thumb. And you can change in and out all sorts of different bands. And this sensor itself can also live on your forearm or your upper arm, your bicep. You'll see a lot of golfers, basketball players, folks that are doing things with their wrists and their hands. They often wear it on their bicep. A lot of that feedback is designed to be coming to you through the app. So we want to be telling you essentially what you should do next. You wake up in the morning with a recovery score, zero to hundred percent, red, yellow, green. How prepared is your body? to take on the day? Should you be putting a lot of stress on your day? Should you be exercising? Do you need rest? Do you need to recover? Do you need to do less? And then over the course of the day, we'll measure the strain that accumulates, whether that's activities or daily stress. And at the end of the day, 
we'll even look at who you are and your sleep debt over time. And we'll tell you how much sleep you need for tonight to recover for tomorrow. So it doesn't just track you. It also predicts what you need to do. Yeah. We think of it as being a 24 seven life coach. So we want whoop effectively to live a step ahead of you and be able to educate you on all the different things that you can do to perform better. And you can think of that across different time intervals as well. The daily cadence is what I just described. That's this sort of circular experience of recovery dictating strain, strain dictating sleep, sleep contributing to recovery and resetting in that loop. And then you can think about it on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis where Whoop is looking at, okay, well, how are you balancing strain and recovery, for example? Are you training optimally or are you putting too much stress on your body and your daily life? Are you getting enough sleep over time? And then we're also now able to show you how a bunch of different behaviors, lifestyle decisions, diets, supplements, you name it, affect your lifestyle and your performance. So if you wanted to answer a question like, is the paleo diet right for me? Or is meditation good for me? Or should I take melatonin before I go to bed? Or how do I beat jet lag? Those are questions that you can answer now with Whoop because we'll be able to keep track of when you do or don't do these things. And then we'll be able to show you information that says, oh, definitively melatonin's helping you sleep better, but the paleo diet isn't, or it's messing up your recovery. That's fascinating and potentially a huge breakthrough. And so just getting back to the basics, how much does this band retail for? It's all a subscription. You can pay anywhere from 18 to $30 a month. You can sign up for as little as $30 today and the hardware comes free. We don't think of understanding your body as a one-time thing. We think of it as an ongoing evolution. Your challenges this week or this month might be very different three months from now, as with your goals. So we view it's our responsibility as a business to be adding data, analytics, features to evolve with you. By the way, if we're not giving you value today or this week or this month, you should cancel. And I think it puts the consumer in a position to challenge Whoop to be delivering value. And it puts us in a position to move at a pace that, frankly, is just much faster than the competition. Where did you get this idea? Where did it come from? Was it related to you playing squash in college? Yeah, I think for me personally, I mean, I was always someone who was into sports and exercise. And I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing to my body while I was training, especially as a college athlete. I was someone who used to overtrain where you kind of get fitter and fitter and then you fall off a cliff. A lot of other athletes overtrain, they undertrain, they get injured, they misinterpret fitness peaks, don't necessarily understand the importance of sleep or recovery. For me, it was actually just doing a ton of research while I was in school. I read something like 500 medical papers, and I wrote a paper myself around how to continuously understand the human body. And that ultimately became the business plan for Whoop. You know, Whoop was founded my senior year at Harvard. By the time I graduated, I had met John Capilupo, a, a co-founder, and Aurelian Nikolai, also a co-founder. John had the technical chops to do things from a sensing standpoint that hadn't been done before. He was studying for the hardest math classes in the country, and it turns out his father's a professor of exercise physiology. So we had a real overlap around physiology. I had a vision at that point for how to build a product for coaches and athletes and beyond. Two of us started working very closely together summer of 2012 out of the Harvard Innovation Lab. And then as it turned out, Aurelian was actually living on John's couch that summer. He turned out to be a world-class mechanical engineer. It's funny how these things sort of go. And he was able to rapidly prototype the initial Whoop prototypes for building this technology. From there, we probably raised capital every 12 to 18 months. And here we are today where you know the company's about 
250 employees. We're based primarily in Boston and we're serving markets around the world. What year was it founded? 2012. Okay, 2012. So wearables were in their infancy, but they were around. Now there's lots of major players in the space. Google with its acquisition of Fitbit, of course, Apple with the Apple Watch, as well as many other capitalized companies. Will, when you go out and raise money, how do you think about the competitive landscape? And how can you win against each of these deep-pocketed competitors? You know, it's funny. That was actually a harder question years ago. There used to be a lot more competitors in the market. As the wearables market has grown, it's actually consolidated. 2012, really the main wearable product was the heart rate monitor, the chest strap. About 10 million of those were sold globally. Super goofy piece of technology, very accurate, but really uncomfortable, especially for women. You'd wear it around your chest. You'd have to spit on it to get it going. The first thing I thought was, well, that's going to go away. That just seems like a terrible use of technology. It could be much more seamless to wear something that could measure your heart rate. Fitbit in 2012 was probably a less than $100 million valued business. I actually met the CEO of Fitbit, James Park, my senior spring at a college recruiting event. So that kind of shows you if he's showing up to the college recruiting event, it was probably a small business and they only had one product in market. It was that initial Fitbit tracker. And in fact, you had to connect it to your computer in order to get the data off of it. In meeting him, I knew that that was going to be a big business, but it was a very different business than the one that I was excited to build because he wanted to be mass market immediately. And Fitbit, I think, is one of the better distribution stories of the last 10 or 20 years. I mean, year after year, they were shipping 5X units. That's really hard to do. I think the problem for Fitbit is that they won the wrong game. They won the distribution game and the key was winning the product game. You want to have the stickiest product. We've invested very heavily in trying to have the most accurate product and the best user experience. We've seen products like the Nike Fuel Band, the Jawbone, Basis, Project Florida, Qantas, probably a dozen more, if I thought hard enough, I could remember, that have come and gone. And some of them had real consumer success. I mean, Jawbone was a very compelling company at one point. The challenge that all of those fitness trackers faced over time was they had built something that was interesting, but it wasn't going to tell you how to change your life. The promise of wearable technology is that it can tell you how to change your life. It can truly unlock your potential. I fundamentally believe that. That is what we are trying to do at Whoop. You will meet people who wear Whoop who will tell you that. That's not a small promise. And as a result, we're also able to command a subscription. And that forces us as a business to really listen to our customers, really listen to what they like and dislike, really push and push and push to release features faster than anything else in the market. One benefit that I think we had was getting to watch Fitbit and Peloton grow up. In 2017, Whoop was a hardware business. We sold hardware and it was high-end premium hardware, $500. What we saw is that over time, we didn't have the same drop-off rates that had plagued, say, a Fitbit or a Jawbone, where someone puts the thing on, they wear it for three weeks, and they stop wearing it. We didn't have drop-off rates like that. In fact, we had great retention over time, but we weren't selling all that many units. We also had the benefit of looking at Peloton and seeing a business like Peloton in the private markets, which was you know hardware plus a subscription, being valued at 20x ARR, and then seeing a business like Fitbit being valued at 1x revenue. We just asked ourselves, do we want to grow up to look like Fitbit or Peloton? On top of that, our initial data in the consumer market was showing that we had the potential 
to build a subscription business that could have a much lower upfront cost, but if we were able to deliver the value that we believed we could deliver, could keep someone on Whoop for a very long time. That is now the business that we've built today. And I think as a result, it's created a very different feeling for the end consumer than any other product in the market. Your relationship with your customers seems more like a journey than a one-off impulse purchase. You're partnering with these people to upgrade their health. Interesting. But one name you haven't mentioned is the Apple Watch. Could you comment a little bit on that? And how's that play versus your product? I think Apple's an amazing company. They often create innovative products. The Apple Watch commercially has done really well. But I think they have a disadvantage in that they need to serve a lot of people. Whoop is great at all the things that it does for all the things that it doesn't do. We don't have a high resolution screen on our sensor. You're not going to call an Uber with a Whoop. You're not going to do a phone call with a Whoop. But if you want really accurate health data, we're the best game in town. There are just fundamental engineering trade-offs that come with the number of features that you offer. Whoop first and foremost is a health data company. We want to collect the best health data, the most accurate health data. It seems that you've attracted some very high-profile athletes who are, I'd imagine, the most demanding of all users in terms of their need for precision. How have you been able to do this? How do you attract these athletes? Was that an early part of the strategy? Oh, 100%. I believe from day one that the first market for wearable technology should be professional athletes, high-end athletes. It's pretty interesting. We were kind of stubborn early on about this. And some people would say maybe too stubborn, but we really believed that if the technology lived up to its promise, athletes would pay us to use it. If it didn't, there was no amount of money that we would be able to pay an athlete or no amount of equity we could give an athlete to wear Whoop 24-7. It's a real ask to wear something on your body 24-7. How many things on your body do you wear 24-7? That was the bar we set for ourselves. And we were selling Whoop to teams for $1,000, $2,000 per person in those early days. Two of our first 100 users were people like LeBron James and Michael Phelps. There were real issues, challenges, I'll say, with the product at the time. You know, this is 2014, 2015 timeframe. It had an 18-hour battery life. You had to constantly be swapping on and off battery packs. It took a while to send all the data that we were collecting from the strap to the phone. These early engineering challenges that inevitably we were going to overcome, but just at that point we hadn't. But what we did have is great data. I still had great data at that time because that was the focus. And it was so encouraging to me to see that literally we had athletes who were the very best in the world at what they did willing to put up with some of these challenges. If they could get analysis on, say, recovery, if they could get true analysis on sleep. In the back of my mind, I always thought that human performance would be a standalone category and it would sit between what are today considered large technology companies and what are today considered large sports apparel businesses. Human performance to me will be occupied by a business that one day looks a lot like Apple and Nike had a child. In many ways, that's what Whoop aspires to be. So shifting to the present moment, a product like yours seems particularly suited to our current health crisis. What has been your approach to facing COVID? A few things. So in January, we started doing research on COVID-19, which was a little bit earlier, I think, than most. And it was in part because one of our board members, Ed Baker, who's this Silicon Valley growth legend, he worked at Facebook early on and oversaw growth at Facebook. And then he worked at Uber and oversaw growth and product at Uber. And Ed effectively said to me in January, COVID-19 is going to be a global pandemic. 
And this is a guy who has made a career of looking at how small numbers grow to be big numbers. So I said, okay, if this is going to be a virus that is affecting society on a global level, let's do a lot of research on it. Two of our founding values, I would say, as a business have been do the research, found everything that we do in research and validation and science, and move at a really fast pace, move at an uncomfortable pace. I say that a lot. That combination set us up well to do research on COVID. By early March, we had COVID-19 tracking in the Whoop app. We were the first consumer product to have COVID-19 tracking In a matter of weeks, we had over a thousand responses of people saying they had tested positive for COVID-19. By April 1st, we had partnered with research institutions like CQU to actually investigate all of this data. We've quickly had one of the largest data sets on physiology alongside COVID-19. We didn't know what we were going to find, frankly, but we found one thing that really jumps off the page, and it's that if you have an elevated respiratory rate, it can be a predictor of COVID-19. So what does that mean? Well, respiratory rate is the number of breaths that you have in a minute, and we measure it while you're sleeping. Now, the funny thing, Alex, is that we actually have been measuring this statistic for years, and yet we never showed it to users because it was a really boring statistic. And we talk a lot at Whoop about how, despite all the data that we collect, we have to show restraint in what you show to someone because a person can only pay attention to so many things. And so respiratory rate was something that we hid. It was just something that we were collecting in the background because we thought it was interesting. What we discovered in looking at COVID-19 patients is that their respiratory rates jumped off the page. Now, COVID-19 is a lower respiratory tract infection, so it makes all the sense in the world that it would affect your breathing. A typical respiratory rate is somewhere between like 10 and 20 breaths per minute. Your respiratory rate practically doesn't change. I'll give you an example. So Nick Watney on the PGA Tour was on Whoop for about 10 months. And as you know, the PGA Tour is back up and running. And this was like maybe six weeks ago. He gets a 14 every day respiratory rate, 14, 14, for like 10 months. never changed. So he tests negative on a Tuesday, plays in the tournament on Thursday. And then Friday, he wakes up and his respiratory rate was an 18. So it had been a 14 every day. And then all of a sudden, boom, 18. He had read the research that we had put out on COVID-19 and respiratory rate. And he went to the doctors and said, I think I should be tested again. They said, actually, you're cleared to play. Fortunately, he was able to get another test. He tested positive and he was able to withdraw from the PGA Tour event and not infect anyone. The PGA Tour has since put whoop on every single player, caddy, a media member, staff. That's the example of the power of respiratory rate. And mind you, Nick never had any symptoms. I mean, even two weeks later, he didn't have symptoms. It was a pretty amazing story, and it was pretty consistent with the research that we had done and published, which showed that if you have an elevated respiratory rate, it can be a predictor of COVID-19 up to two days before you feel symptoms. And we saw in the research that we published, 80% of cases by the third day of symptoms were caught by an elevated respiratory rate. That's fascinating. And for a lot of anxious people now, I'm sure any type of marker or intel is really powerful. Well, I'm curious, were there any other signals or data from your user base related to this disease? Well, look, the interesting thing is when your body gets sick or any illness, your physiology changes. Forever, we've seen on WHOOP how sickness manifests. And typically, what you'll see is your resting heart rate will increase, your heart rate variability, which is like this lens into your autonomic nervous system, that'll decrease. 
you'll have more sleep disruptions and you'll get on whoop what's called a red recovery, which is a sign that your body is super run down. Now, all those things that I just said have historically been non-specific indicators. So if I were to just look at your whoop data, I wouldn't be able to tell that you had a cold or the flu or some kind of virus. What's so fascinating about COVID-19 is that it has a very specific indicator. Your respiratory rate changes if you get COVID-19, and it doesn't change if you have the flu or a cold. What was interesting as well in this study is that there were people who had COVID-19 symptoms who tested negative. And again, if you filtered by respiratory rate, those people did not have an elevated respiratory rate. Anyway, we think this is a very important metric. We think that society at large should be looking a lot closer at it. We put the research out and made it public. And you don't track temperatures. Is that correct? We do not track temperature. That's correct. Is that on the roadmap? The thing to understand about temperature is, are you capturing skin temperature or are you capturing body temperature? Body temperature is quite interesting. Skin temperature from our research is not that interesting. In fact, it's probably irrelevant. What you may see in the market is products marketing skin temperature as body temperature. I would encourage people to pay close attention to that. Now, skin temperature, again, not that interesting. Body temperature, very interesting. Without saying what's on our roadmap or not, I can tell you that we focus on statistics that we think are relevant. Makes sense. Another focus area is nutrition. How does that play into the future of the product? We're dipping our toe into it right now because you can input a lot of different diets now on Whoop and supplements and different types of products. If you think about the sort of pop culture health advice that people get, it tends to be very one size fits all. It tends to be flavor of the month. Recently, it's been, let's do the keto diet. Before that, it was low carb. Before that, it was paleo. The inevitable obvious thing is that not all diets are right for all people. Not all products are right for all people. Some are great for you. Some might not be great for you. Our point of view is that you can only really manage what you measure. If you measure your body, you can form baselines and then you can understand if you introduce something new to your body, how does it change? Makes complete sense. So let's look into the crystal ball here a little bit. Five years from now, crystal ball, where are connected fitness wearables? What will be different? What will be the same? Well, I think in general, people are moving to a place of self-enlightenment where they want to take health and put it in their own control. Whether that means I want to have a workout that's right for me in the next five minutes, that's exactly how long I want and by the exact person I want, or whether that means I want to have a coach that tells me how much I should sleep tonight and what workout I should do when I wake up. Those are all different market opportunities. You know, the thing I'll say about Whoop is that the company was founded on this principle that there are secrets that your body is trying to tell you that you can't feel. That was the reason I overtrained as an athlete. I was someone who told myself, oh, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. And then you don't recognize that all of a sudden you fall off a cliff. In general, the thing that I've come to believe over time is that feelings are largely overrated. There are true physiological indicators that can tell you what's going on in your body. And the thing that COVID-19 has really underscored is this fact. You can have a virus in your body that you don't feel. You're completely asymptomatic. And this is happening every day right now in the United States. You're completely asymptomatic. You could walk around and give it to someone else and that virus could kill that person. 
if there are ways that you can measure things about your body to predict that or understand that, I think that's super valuable. Again, that's my bias in having spent eight years, 10 years even, in doing research on the human body. My sense is COVID-19 didn't necessarily change the world from the standpoint of where things were headed, but I think it dramatically accelerated where things were headed. If most people inevitably were going to end up with a health monitor in the next five years, maybe now they're going to end up with one in the next 12 months. If most people were going to start doing visits with their doctor over telemedicine, maybe that was where things were headed in 10 years. I think that's now happening immediately. In some ways, I view these as positive things. These are all positive changes for society. There's no reason that I should go into a doctor's office and sit in the doctor's office and then put on a pulse oximeter and then you know, answer a bunch of silly questions. If I'm wearing something that measures all of that and I can do it at home and save the doctor's time, there's ways to make the health system so much more efficient. And I think that COVID-19's highlighted some of the things that are broken about it. Consumers are going to have a lot more power over the next five years around health. They're going to be able to control effectively their bodies in a new and exciting way. At LionTree, we're looking at the pandemic as a force of acceleration, that it's not necessarily a complete reshaping, but it's an acceleration. What's next for Whoop? You've raised a very large amount of money in the scheme of things, over $100 million. How do you see the future for your company and what you've built? Well, I do have a fiduciary responsibility, so I certainly think about those things. The last two years, especially the last six months, the business has really accelerated. We've seen a lot of investor demand, and we're going to be pretty thoughtful about future sources of capital. I do view human performance and its overlap with health as an enormous and growing market opportunity. I think there will be a number of large standalone businesses that occupy that space, and I am also skeptical that many big existing players will be the ones to occupy them. That's why I feel quite bullish on where we are at Whoop and our potential to grow right now. Let's transition here. We got a good sense of this. Let's do some quick hits so we can learn a little bit about you, Will. Let's start with this. What's a show you're streaming right now? I just started watching Yellowstone with my wife. We enjoyed that. Kevin Costner in Montana. It's a good one. Can't go wrong. Kevin Costner, never go wrong. Okay, what's a book you've read recently that you're pretty excited about? I just read Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up. I like reading about individuals who have overcome challenges in their life. And Steve Martin's a guy who you sort of assume it came easy to. That was a guy who was literally grinding it out in empty bars for 10 years. And I highly recommend his book because it just shows how much hard work goes into being that successful. Love Steve Martin. Finally, is there a great podcast you've listened to recently? You know, I've been listening to less podcasts now that I'm not traveling that much. I'll use this as an opportunity to plug the Whoop podcast, though, which I host and interview high-performing individuals, whether they be across sports or executives or doctors, researchers, all walks of life. So if you're interested in learning more about some of the topics that we touched on today, I'd encourage you to check out the Whoop podcast. All right. So the Woo podcast, for sure. And of course, KindredCast. You have to listen to both. Those are the best. Well, that was a good way to tie things up here. We're really appreciative of your time today, Will. I know this is a period of great growth and your company is doing a lot for personal wellness and fitness, especially in these trying times. And we're very excited to continue to watch the journey here. 
Yeah, thank you for having me, Alex. And I think everyone at Whoop is excited and humbled to get to play a role in fighting this virus right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review as well as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio Channel 132 or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app.